when I was growing up, um, I, I didn't get in trouble very often, hardly ever. I, And Mike DeBose didn't know me as a child, but. <laughs> and my parents are with the Lord, so I can say this, okay? Uh, but on the occasion when I did, my mother had a favorite phrase that she would use. And I can still hear it. I can hear the tone of voice. I can hear exactly what it sounds like. I can feel what it it felt like when, uh, when she would say this, and here is what she would say. She wouldn't say, quit doing that or start doing that or anything like that. Almost always, it was, you know better than that. And when I heard that, I know she didn't realize how profound that was when, when uh, she would say it. I don't think she did. But, uh, you know, what that's saying is it's not just, uh, look, you know, you're doing something you shouldn't do, but there's a lot more to that statement. It's, you have been taught better than the way you're acting right now. And you are going contrary to what you know to be the way you should be acting at this point when they say, you know better than that. And the reality is she was usually right. I usually did know better than that. But uh, that usually also uh, changed my behavior, even if it was only temporary. Well, in our passage before us, we are going to see, in essence, God speaking pertaining to all mankind and saying, you know better than that. The actions that you are now following, you know better. The things you say you believe, you know better. And the reason is, he tells us, because he has told us the truth. So let's take a look at uh, our passage. Uh, beginning, I'm going to begin reading at 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, uh, we would ask that you would help us in these next few moments to focus, to focus upon on you and your word, to listen. And, and as we listen, to listen to your Spirit speaking to our heart, not just to words coming from this pulpit. And so we would ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In verse 21, he, be, he talks about the knowledge of God, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now, here we're beginning where we left off uh, last week, right where we ended, literally, because last week we looked at the verses right before this. Now, I want to tell you, in case you're uh, beginning to wonder... Um, is this going to be, like I mentioned to you, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, is this going to be a 13-year study in the book of Romans? And uh, I could understand if you were beginning to wonder that, uh, but the answer is no. Uh, we are, we're going slow at this point. Uh, after we get through chapter 1, we will begin taking uh, bigger chunks of the Scripture, but Chapter 1 is so foundational to what comes next that, that we've got to just take our time uh, through this and walk our way through this uh, so that the rest of Romans will make sense. Now, remember, we, I'm calling it the gospel of God, and uh, what Romans is answering, especially the first part of Romans, is why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why? What's, what's behind all of this? And uh, so in especially the first several chapters, we're going to see uh, it answered in terms of uh, man's nature and man's behavior and man's response to God. Now, what we talked about last week was, uh, especially in 19 and 20, what, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. <coughs> so we talked about general revelation last week. Uh, general revelation is as opposed to special revelation. Special revelation is the Bible, the Word of God. 
general revelation is what, how God has revealed himself in his creation. We just sang about that uh, in, in that great uh, Getty hymn. And we can see. And we saw last week how uh, while we don't know details by, just by looking at creation, we can know enough about God, His existence, His nature. We know enough to where if we don't respond properly to God, we stand without excuse. And so uh, that's, that was where we were uh, last week. Uh, here's what we need to remember about that too. We made the point that this knowledge of God is not just something that's possible. In other words, it's, it's possible to know about God from creation. What the Scripture tells us is we do know and everyone on earth does know. It's, it's not just possible for them to know, but they do know because God has revealed it to them. And so that's why all mankind stands without excuse when we stand before God. We're saying in their heart of hearts, they know there is a God. Now, there's a lot of research literature out there. Uh, by the way, some of this is from a, an article uh, from the New York Times, and we know they're always accurate. Anyway, from an article called Conjuring Up Our Own Gods. But these are, uh, it, it mentions some uh, various surveys, like in, in 2011, an Associated Press poll found that 8 in 10 Americans believe in angels. 80% of uh, Americans. Uh, more than 90% of those who do not belong to a church say they pray. Isn't that interesting? Statistic. Nine out of ten um, who don't belong to a church say they're praying. Uh, and half of those who say they have no religion frequent New Age bookstores. And so what's a New Age bookstore? Well, it's all about spirituality. And that, that prompted uh, one religion scholar, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Cripple, to declare Americans are obsessed with the supernatural. Now, when I read that conclusion, I thought, well, okay, well, that fits exactly with what the Word of God has already stated. No survey necessary. In fact, what Romans 1 is saying is uh, it's not just 8 out of 10. They may be the only ones admitting they pray. This passage is saying 10 out of 10 know that there is, is, is a God even if they've suppressed that knowledge. And that's what we need to, to grasp is that uh, you can call yourself spiritual. You can even pray in some way and still absolutely be suppressing the truth of God. 
And that's mankind's plight right there. So Paul then, from, from that knowledge part of God, saying it is there, then moves to talk about what are some of the ramifications. We're going to talk about that this week and, and, and the next couple of weeks. What are the ramifications? Where, what happens then uh, when that knowledge is suppressed? Uh, and he talks about the, the response to that knowledge of God. Verse 21, although they knew God, here's the response, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the Scripture is saying theirs is not the sin of ignorance. This is saying they have ignored what they know. They know better than this. And they have ignored it. It's an obstinate rebellion against knowledge that is in their heart and in their mind. Now the implication here is that if there is a God, the right response is to honor Him for who He is. If there is a God, and He created all of this, and He sustains our life, then the right response is worship and to thank Him. But mankind's response is they know there is a God, but they refuse to honor Him or give thanks to Him. Os Guinness uh, says uh, that this is a a sober-minded reminder that rebellion against God does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism, In other words, not that outward rebellion like this. But rebellion against God begins with a self-satisfied heart of the one for whom thank you is redundant. In other words, the the one that says, "I, I don't have any reason I need to be thanking God because I'm self sufficient. Now, in terms of the need for thanksgiving, don't get that statement wrong. God's wrath is uh, uh, toward mankind is not due to bad manners, to us forgetting to say thank you. It's not about forgetting. In fact, one commentator, I think this is an apt description, one commentator calls it plagiarism. He says, it's viewing what God has made and acting like it's to our credit. You see? It's not just not saying thanks. So when you stop and give thanks for your meal, we have to be careful that it doesn't just become some automatic habit, although it is a good habit to have. We need to make sure our attitude down deep isn't, uh, God, thank you for this food that I worked really hard to earn the money for to provide for my family. But instead, when we 
thank God even for our food. We need to basically be acknowledging, look, God, we, I understand that even though I, I might have worked and earned some money and paid for, for this food, that if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have had the job, and if it weren't for you, I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. And, and if it weren't for you sustaining me and giving me the health, I wouldn't have been able to work for this wonderful, beautiful gift from you. See, that's how we need to see it. And, and, and we need to, in, somewhere in the back of our mind, know and not take it for granted because everything I just said can change just like that. We can lose our health or ability or any of those things that God has graciously given to us and that we too often take for granted. We pretend like we're independent rather than dependent. And we act like we're in control. And I'm going to say it again for I don't know how many hundredth time. Control is an illusion. And if you think you're in control of your life, you're deluding yourself. Everything can change in an instant. So here's the result, according to Paul. Uh, But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that goes back to God's wrath. He gives man what he, he needs to know of his existence. Man chooses either to ignore it or suppress it or embrace it. And if he suppresses that truth that he knows, then a downward spiral in terms of behavior, is going to begin. And he uses the word heart for the the mind here. So what does that futile thinking and dark heart lead to? Paul says it leads to an arrogance or a pride. Uh, Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Uh, R.C. Sproul calls that the grand paradox is right when uh, everyone is, is, is thinking and pretending to be uh, wise, that's when you're showing yourself to be such a fool. He says this, the awful tragedy of human intellectual uh, thought that man at the very moment when he is acting in foolishness brags about his wisdom. So what is this wisdom? Well, last week we, we celebrated uh, with our high school graduates and we had a, a lunch in the Great Hall and Pastor Hunt shared uh, with those high school graduates and their parents uh, and those that were attending uh, the, uh, the challenge to choose between godly wisdom and foolishness. And the gist of it uh, was this. According to the world... The choice is whether you get an, an education and be successful. In other words, get a good job, make money, make a name for yourself, have certain things, have a spouse and kids and so on, or not. In other words, that's success, or you can go the other way. According to Scripture, 
the choice is very different, he said. It's whether you'll follow the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness in your life. And that fits with what Paul's saying. And and here's the bottom line of the, the foolishness. Back in Psalm 14, the first verse, says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. So foolishness is not just something to be corrected. It's something to be repented of when we turn away from that and toward God through Christ. Now look at the next step then in terms of what happens when a man ignores knowledge about God. The next step is the replacement of God. Verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what we need to make sure we grasp. It's not just Christians or religious people that are worshiping creatures uh, in terms of how we're made. That, that we, uh, all, all mankind is made to worship. And so when someone suppresses the truth of God, they don't quit worshiping. What they do is they twist their need to worship into something else that is radically different from the truth that they know inside. And they suppress that truth about God. And what it says here is they come up with alternative objects of worship. By the way, none of which, when mankind comes up with their own objects of worship, none of those are worthy of worship. There, is, uh, there are those in our world who practice uh, animism. Maybe you've heard of that. That is the belief that a, a spirit in, uh, inhabits an inanimate object, whether it's a, a rock or uh, a, a tree or uh, animals, uh, which are animate, but... Uh, uh, there are those that have studied religion that have tried to explain where belief in one God comes from. Now, they've got to ignore Romans 1 or, you know, in order to come to this conclusion. But here's what some say. They talk about an evolution of religion. And those that hold to that theory are basically saying... That's how it all starts. Man worships something like a rock or an animal or or whatever. And then as time goes on, uh, they begin to worship something something greater. And then as as time goes on, eventually they conjure up in their own mind a concept of one God. And so that's, in in their theory, uh, the, the theory of the evolution of religion. The problem is 
that's on a direct collision course with what the, the Word of God says right here. The Bible here tells us that it's just the opposite. And that is that, that God has shown us that He exists. That's where uh, all of mankind begins. And rather than evolving from there, if they reject the knowledge they have, it will devolve from there. And they will begin to worship things smaller and lesser and weaker. And in fact, when it, when it comes to, uh, to uh, man inventing their own gods, many times the gods they invent are smaller and lesser and weaker, not just than the true God, but they're smaller and lesser and weaker than mankind himself. If you worship an animal or a rock or something that you've made with your own hands like we will we will read about. So what's the danger? So what with all of this? Well, I, I think that C.S. Lewis in his uh, Narnia Tales, which is an extended allegory of many of the truths of Scripture, I think he's nailed it in, in uh, one of the books, the... Um, the magician's nephew. In there, uh, there, if you're not familiar with it, Narnia is this um, uh, world that he, he made up, a fictitious world, and uh, there is a character named Aslan. Aslan is the lion, and he represents Christ. Which, by the way, Aslan is Turkish for... Lion. That's where that came from. So um, here's, uh, in that particular book, he's going back and, and talking about the creation of, of Narnia and how it was actually Aslan who would sing it into existence with his great roar that only he could do. But there's another character that's revealed here. You have Aslan's creation song that is parallel with Genesis 1. That's this great call to worship. Here's creation. Now we will worship the Creator. But they reveal another character, and it's Uncle Andrew. He wouldn't hear of it. In fact... He had consequences that were staggering because of that. When he first began to hear uh, the lion, the song of the lion that would ultimately bring Narnia into existence, he didn't like what he heard or how it made him feel. And so he began to say, well, my nerves must have gotten the best of me. I'm not really hearing this song, because after all, lions don't sing. They only roar and growl. And so he would hear it again, and, and he would tell himself, no, no, 
that's not a, a song at all. He tried his hardest to make himself believe that, that Aslan wasn't singing and never had been singing. He was only roaring like a lion would in the zoo that he knew of. Of course he can't really be singing. And here's what C.S. Lewis says. And the longer and the more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, Lewis says, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. Children, don't say stupid, okay? You're not allowed to. And that's what happened with Uncle Andrew. When at last, uh, when it was ready and Aslan, the great lion, uh, spoke and said, Narnia, awake, all Uncle Andrew heard at that point was growling and a roar and a snarl. And when all of the beasts spoke in answer to Aslan and in worship, C.S. Lewis says he heard only barkings, growlings, bayings, and howlings. This is a beautiful but frightening allegory which fits with Romans 1 that makes it clear that everyone in this room, every one of us, down deep, knows there is a God. And you have heard of your need to trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, to take care of the guilt of your sin. Now, you can suppress that. You can ignore it. You can pretend like you haven't heard it. but it's only at the risk of your own peril if you do that. And there could come a time, like Lewis has observed, where you will no longer hear the truth, but only the barkings and growlings and bayings and howlings of a lost and dying world. Our only hope in life and death is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, if there are uh, friends here who have been doing all they humanly can to suppress the truth that they have heard, maybe sometimes again and again, will you, will you help them to hear the truth? The clear voice of the Lion of Judah
who brings salvation, who is alive, and who wants, wants to bring new life to his people. We give you praise today and thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen.